0: The Game Nashville Studios, presented by Wholesale Inc. Mount Juliet. This is the Julian Council Show on Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Okay, Julian Council Show. Uh, We are right here, live, I guess taped really, on a Monday morning edition. And it is actually game week, finally in college football not going to get into a lot of college football, but there is a hoax going on out there in the college football world that everyone needs to know about. Before we start heaping praise upon this one player, we need to know the truth about their age and why what they're doing is not exactly as impressive as we've made it out to be. But, um, of course, got to get into a few other things. Marcus Mariota apparently did not play well in Pittsburgh on Saturday and it has people freaking out in the city uh, I did not watch the entire game. I did go back last night and check out bits and pieces of the first-team offense, the first-team defense, and let's just say it was uh, not encouraging, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, also want to talk about this whole MLS stadium deal and kind of not really the politics of it all because I really don't care about the politics. I mean, of course, it's important to whether there's going to be a team or not, but I, I kind of want to talk about where MLS went wrong in this whole expansion bid to where your first city that was receiving a bid is now having a conversation about eight months afterwards about whether they actually have a stadium deal in place, as it appeared back in November they did, and, well, maybe they don't. So we'll get into the conversation about that. But um, first off, I mean, this weekend got the head out of town one last chance because we're doing a Saturday tailgate with Nick Cale this fall. So that basically says I'm not allowed to leave town. Which is fine. I'll, I'll deal with it. It will save me a lot of money because Lord knows I spent way too much money this summer traveling around the East Coast and whatnot. So I had a fantasy football weekend up in Banner Elk, North Carolina, with my friends from back home. Banner Elk's like right outside of Boone, uh, pretty much picturesque little small mountain village. Boone is also a cool place, about 30 minutes away. People say, I think Boone sucks. But uh, if you want to ever go there and hang out and check out App State or go on a hike or whatever, Go ahead. I, I'm not going to tell you to do it, but, you know, people like Boone for whatever reason. So, I'm not one of those dudes who talks about fantasy football a lot or at all because, honestly, I don't care about other people's teams. I know people don't care about my team. Maybe they do, but I really don't want to have that conversation. I've thankfully gotten out of another league this year. I had two last year, last couple of years. Now, I'm down to one. Uh, well, the league I have with my friends back at, at Elon where I went to college. I got out of that. I'm like, I don't want to play anymore. I think it's stupid. I hate ESPN fantasy football anyway. I don't, I'm just trying to get rid of, get out of this league. So that league, I never won. I failed miserably every year. So there's no reason for me to stay. This year, in this league, I'm having my friends back home. I've won two times and I finished and second once as far as like in the championship. So I'm at a point where I'm just ready to retire. I think I was ready to retire last year, but then for the first time in my playing in this league, I didn't make the playoffs. And now it's one of those things where I got to get back to the playoffs and I have to just win this so I can stop playing fantasy football because I'm sick of playing it. I'm sick of sitting there on Sundays and hoping that Cordell Patterson or some rando who I don't even care about does well. Like I'm tired of rooting for Rob Gronkowski when I hate the Patriots. Like I'm sick of that conundrum. So I know maybe I should just quit, but I, I, you gotta you got to go out on top, man. You have to go out on top, and that's what I want to do this year. I'm not sure if I will go out on top. I'm hoping so. I mean, I have Antonio Brown. I got a decent wide receiving core. I got Brandon Cooks. I got, uh, I mean, Carson Wentz, a quarterback. Who do I have? Michael Thomas. I don't even remember who who I drafted. I mean, we did this draft. So, the plan was to do this draft yesterday. So, Sunday morning at, like, 11 Eastern. And, like, mind you, we all got, there's, like, 11 of us up there. We all got up there. I, there's like one, I guess only one of us actually who drafted wasn't even at the, the thing. But um, one of us, so we, we got there on Friday. Only one of us got there on Saturday, but like, you know, we're just hanging out, having, you know, probably way more than we should be drinking. But we're doing that on Friday and then Saturday. And then uh, we have a 10 o'clock draft Saturday night. And I was about ready to call it a night, like six, if we're being honest. Because, like I, I usually when I'm back here in town nowadays, I'm just hanging out on the weekends, like keeping it real low key. So that kind of weekend where I got to like kind of keep up with the flow and, you know, kind of do what everyone else is doing. I was kind of not in playing shape for a lack of a better term. There it was, I, I was not in playing shape. So yeah, we had like a 10 o'clock draft. One of my friends falls asleep for about a good hour downstairs. He comes up about two minutes before the draft starting and he's like complaining about the wifi. He's like, Oh, I can't get on the Wi Fi. I'm telling him, like, dude, you, well, you got to get on the 5.0 high speed. And like, everyone's, everyone's telling him this. And, like, he's like, here, hey, like, throwing a tantrum because he can't get on the Wi Fi. He's like, well, dude, you went to sleep for like an hour, then showed up two minutes before the draft started. And now you're going to complain about the Wi Fi. Like, you should have been up here like 10 minutes ago, like, figuring things out. Like, you hadn't logged into the Wi Fi yet. I mean, come on. Like, all day long, we've noticed that on your phones, if you're using like the 2.4, just a regular one, it wasn't going to work. But this guy's out here. Upset because he shows up late for the draft and he can't get on the Wi-Fi. We got to pause it for like seven minutes waiting on him to get his act together. So that was ridiculous. But the whole the whole concept of fantasy football, I'm just over it. I just want to win this year and retire, get three championships, and basically cement myself as a fantasy football legend in this league, and just leave and never have to discuss any of this ever again. And people knew I was trying to get out because I'm going around all day Saturday, just like, hey, like who's trying to trade? Like I'm trying to make a trade. I'm in win-down mode. I'm ready to give up seven future first-round picks. And we're in, a, we're in a keeper league where you can't even keep your first-round picks. What's the point of having a first-rounder? Like, I won two years ago, had Le'Veon Bell and Ben Roethlisberger back before he was terrible like last year. And I that helped me win. And then, oh, Le'Veon Bell is your number one pick, so you lose him. It's like, great. So I had to pick last, and I don't get my best player from last year. And then, coincidentally, I finished in ninth place. So... Cool, guys. Appreciate it. This year, I'm now, I I'm, I picked fourth and got Antonio Brown. But I, I, look, I've been trying to trade for Alvin Kamara. I've been trying to trade for, for, um, Le'Veon Bell like for the last 24 hours. I'm just trying to get this over with. And they could tell, like, I was done with it because, it, like, well, if you're going to futures, you're just going to quit. It's like, absolutely, I'm going to quit. And the fact that fantasy football doesn't allow you to have futures, like, you can't have future picks that you can just trade. It's stupid. Like, it's supposed to be fantasy football. It's supposed to be, basically living out how actual football in a way goes, like being a general manager. Why can't I, you know, trade future first and second or third round picks and move up in the draft? Like, why is that not even an option? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's stupid. Um, I'm over it. Um, Braden, Like, I'm driving back yesterday. I get a text message, and Braden Gall is like, hey, man, you want to join this college football fantasy football league? I'm like, no, I'm all good. Is like, does that mean you Does that mean you want to or can't be bothered enjoying college football just a little bit more? It's like, I mean, I'm not a huge fantasy guy, dude. And, like, I don't know how you enjoy college football more by having to worry about whether the running back of New Mexico State runs for 100 yards that day or not. Like, I don't see how that's more enjoyable. Like, I got to pay attention to more games I don't care about. I mean, of course, like, you're the person who drafts his players, but, like, if the running back in New Mexico State or at UTEP is really good and you're trying to one-up the rest of this league, you kind of got to do that. So I I don't know I'm I'm over it I'm not trying to do that. One weird thing that happened before I get into some this MLS stuff was um we went to two me and two my other buddies we went down the mountain because like that the house that my buddy has like you know it's in the mountain so you're you're going off in the gravel road and it's really just wrecking your car basically. But uh, we went down the mountain for uh, lunch on Saturday and we're we're trying to get brunch basically. It's like eleven thirty. We're trying to get some breakfast, get some brunch because, you know, it's Saturday. It's the weekend. Typically, you know, brunch is served until like 2 o'clock. At least it is here in Nashville. Apparently, in Banner Elk, they stopped serving brunch at this one place we went to. Uh, I won't name the name, Banner Elk Cafe. Um, They stopped serving brunch at 11 a.m., okay, or breakfast or whatever. I don't even know if they had a bar. I don't even know if they served alcohol at this place. Not like it's important or not, but it kind of is. So they stopped serving at 11 o'clock, but there's one exception. At 11.30, so you could still get on the menu. They had, like, two menus. They had, like, an Italian menu. They had, like, a normal menu. I'm like, well, how many menus do you guys need to have? Like, the Cheesecake Factory, you go there, they have 30 pages on their menu of every cuisine in the world. Like, Chinese, Italian, American, like, French cuisine. I mean, they had everything. And it's like, what is why is this necessary, Cheesecake Factory, to have every single food option in the world on your menu? It's super confusing, and it makes it extremely hard to decide what you want because some days maybe you just want to have chicken parm, but Hey, actually there's chicken parm, but you could also have some general sauce chicken. So I, I don't know, but the one exception to breakfast was they still served breakfast burritos throughout the day. So you can serve a breakfast burrito where you're throwing in eggs and bacon and all that kind of stuff, but you can't make an omelet. Does that make any sense to anybody that you can make, a breakfast burrito with all the breakfast stuff in it, but you can't make an omelet. You can't just give me some simple bacon eggs and grits. You can't do any of that? Like You can't give me an Eggs Benedict? I, I don't understand. That's the, that was the weirdest exception to, we don't serve breakfast, but hey, we still have this on the menu throughout the day, or at least throughout lunch or whenever it was. I, I, I don't understand. I've never been a breakfast burrito guy. I've never understood how that, it makes no sense to me. It's mind-boggling still to this day, This, which has only been like 36 hours removed from the situation, and I'm still pretty upset about it. I, I It makes no sense to me. So, Banner El Cafe, get there before 11, or your only option is a breakfast burrito, which I don't know why anyone would want a breakfast burrito at any time whatsoever. Okay, so, all that. That's the weekend catching up, giving you some personal stuff for those out there who really care. I mean, if you're listening to this, I guess you like me in some manner, but... That is that. All right. So this whole MLS stadium deal, and I think tonight it is Monday. Uh, tonight there is some, what, Metro Council meeting going on, and yeah. So there's like a Metro Council meeting today, and then next Tuesday the final vote is in for whether, you know, this stadium's going to work. So I guess apparently this is going to be 27 out of 39 needs to pass today, about whatever they're voting on. I, I really have no understanding of the particulars outside of that. As we know, MLS granted Nashville team back in December to become a part of their franchise, like one of their you know expansion franchises. I think they became like city number 24, 25, something like that. They want to make like 28 teams in like the next four years or so. And so Nashville – had a stadium deal on the table to be at the fairgrounds in November. Metro Council was like, yeah, we'll do this. But obviously, remember, it's back when we had uh, Mayor Megan Barry was at the, at the helm, and she was really pushing this. And we'll, we'll get into kind of a lot of that step, too. Not, not you know, what happened with her, but why a lot of that's important as far as where Nashville is where they're at right now, ahead of some of the other cities that were vying for it. But um, so the stadium, so it's at the fairgrounds. There's been the conversation over the 10 acres of land that, Johnny and ownership group, the Nashville Soccer Holdings, which owns Nashville Soccer Club of USL right now, which is going to form into this MLS team once this happens. And, well, if this happens correctly, um, they're going to start playing like 2020, 2021, 20, 20, something like that. So that's is a conversation where people are apparently that's the point of contention a lot of times or where people are also people who like love the fairgrounds are afraid that it's going to affect racing and like, they don't want to have some buildings torn down. They do not want to give 10 acres of land to a billionaire who's going to use it to make money. And I, I don't know, I, I can understand why, you know, people could be upset about that, but again, I'm not really interested in politics, at all. I'm interested in kind of, you know, what MLS did and kind of got it wrong to where Nashville's in this point where this should have been a conversation had way Further down the road, way before now, so that's kind of you know catching up there on what we're doing here as far as you know the conversation as those so they're trying to vote and make sure this goes through. And mind you, if they don't get the the fairgrounds area, of town that's part of the bid. So part of the bid was that they're going to give it to John Ingram was going to get the team, and they were going to build a stadium the fairgrounds. If the stadium's not the fairgrounds, they have the potential of losing their team now. They'll tell you that. I'll tell you this right now. Don't buy into that at all. Look, the MLS, and we're going to get into this, the MLS is about getting rich people teams. And Nashville, as we all know, is a city that is thriving, that's growing rapidly every day. We're talking about, like, what, 88 people move here every day, something like that. So they're going to have a team because they have a billionaire, and they have another guy, in Mark Wilth and his family who – own the Minnesota Vikings that are part of the ownership group. So when you have two billionaires and then one of them is a part of the NFL and owns an NFL team, just already look at the ties of people who have MLS teams. Stan Kroenke has Colorado Rapids. He owns the LA LA Rams. Um, Arthur Blank down there in Atlanta. Falcons owns Atlanta United. So there's plenty of people out there who own NFL teams that also own MLS teams. And then Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, was in the nFL office for about sixteen years, so there's obviously that natural connection so the the idea that a ownership group that has a billionaire in John Ingram who's tied to the city another billionaire in the will family that owned Minnesota vikings and mind you, they failed to have a bid there in Minnesota because they wanted to have a they wanted to play in u s bank Stadium instead of building another soccer specific stadium what's the winning bid group there in Minneapolis got actually so there's just an idea, but they're not going to take away an MLS team from not from the city. It's not it's not about the city. They're not going to take it away from these two billionaires. So they, just know that two billionaire families will get their team. Which is kind of, you know, how things work, but also kind of the crooked way about how MLS has gone all about. It. And you know, full disclosure, you know, when I did the these National Soccer Insider show like last summer, I had Will Alexander come on from the MLS to Nashville Organizing Committee. Which had been started like, you know, a couple months before that. And he had come in like, but last May of 2017. And I had interviewed him and asked him just kind of how these things were going and what their plan was. After that interview, you asked me, you know, Will asked me to join the committee. And I was like, sure, I'll join a committee. What have I done on the committee? I've attended meetings uh, mainly just to garner information, to know what was going on, kind of get the inside track. You know, I you know, it's been a while. I mean, they only happened like three or four times. So I've been able to, you know, kind of make relationships that way. And and I've known the Nashville SC guys, you know, basically from the jump. So I've built relationships with them prior to even joining this committee. So I'm not going, I'm not swayed either way in this situation. Like, I want there to be an MLS team in Nashville, but I'm also skeptical on how well it's going to work. Now, the USL numbers have told you that. I mean, it's going to work. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what they would have been had um, there not been an MLS team already o- awarded to them because, I mean, Nashville SC is averaging 10,418 a game. They had 8,856 this past weekend at First Tennessee Park, and that loss to Bethlehem Steel to death. So, I mean, of course, those numbers are skewed in a way to over 10,000 because of the two games that have been played at the uh, Nissan Stadium this year. So it probably wouldn't be as many, that many, but they'd probably be fourth behind Indy 11, who coincidentally play over at the um, at the Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Colts play. So their numbers are also a little ske- I mean, and not really skewed, but they're higher because they have more people that can get in there, and National Seas are skewed because of the two stadium games. But either way, they've shown some sort of passion so far. But when I'm looking at this, because I saw a report back when I was looking up a lot of this MLS stuff last night, Joe Prince Wright, who covers soccer for NBC Sports Pro Soccer Talk, had an article based out there back in May thirtieth, just handicapping you know the, the last two expansion bids because our as we know Nashville has a team and so is Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati, which is going to start playing in MLS next year, And Cincinnati, mind you, they they lead the league in attendance in USL. They have 25,000 a game out there. I mean, that's those are numbers that are going to immediately translate. So there's no issue about what Cincinnati's going to do. I mean, their their issue the whole time was whether they had the ownership to figure it out. And Carl Linder III is their guy. He's their John Ingram. They're due at the deep pockets who, you know, gave MLS officials comfort and financial stability of those franchises. So those are the two guys that have allowed you Nashville and Cincinnati to get into all this. But, um, you know, I'm looking at it, and he's ranking like Detroit and Sacramento as the top two, and then Vegas is up there in San Diego. And, you know, St. Louis is all the way down there at, at nine and Charlotte's at 10, Indianapolis at 11. And, and here's my thing with the whole MLS expansion. It was something that absolutely fascinated me when it first started. My issue with it all was that it was completely rushed. So January 2017, MLS is talking about we want to expand by four cities in the next four years or so. We have 24 teams now. We want to get to 28, which is an interesting number. We want to get to 28. We want to cap it there. We want to be done. All right, so you have 12 cities who all jump in there and want a bid. You have obviously Nashville. You have Cincinnati, the two cities that have actually gotten a bid. You had Sacramento, Detroit, Charlotte, Raleigh, Tampa, Indianapolis, San Antonio, Phoenix, St. Louis, and San Diego. So when this all first started, like St. Louis and San Diego and Sacramento – in Cincinnati, like those were like the front runners. Like those were the absolute shoe. you thought, I'm well, not chewing. But those are the ones you thought were going to get it. Like you thought there's no way at least Cincinnati and Sacramento wouldn't get it because of just how things had worked out for them. As far as, you know, attendance wise, because I mean, Sacramento is second in USL out there in the West coast with 11,000 a game this year. And last year they had 11,000. And then last year at Cincinnati, I see had 21,000. So these are consistent numbers year to year from those two franchises. But, Only one of them has a team. And the Sacramento thing, it's not really even about, you know, because they talked about, you know, you have to have the stadium, you have to have a good ownership group, and you have to have, you know, the fan support. Stadium, they got that. They had this unlock. Back in 2016, the Sacramento City Council, back in November 2016, Sacramento City Council approved funding for construction of a soccer stadium in downtown, which is exactly what MLS wants, is that downtown soccer-specific stadium, which actually Nashville doesn't give you, but that's something that they want. And Sacramento had that. Sacramento had the fan support. You look at they had eleven thousand people going to every game there in USL for years with the Sacramento Republic. They had that, but the one thing they didn't have was the ownership group. And they said with the three things that really matter. It's not three things. It's two. It's stadium and it's ownership group. Ownership group first, then stadium. Like I said, Nashville has John Ingram and the Will family. That's Buku. Cincinnati had Carl Lidner, and that's the money that they needed. So you're talking about Cincinnati really was the only city, and not even at the time, but Cincinnati so far is the only city that's really checked off the boxes for me is because you're getting 25000 in there. You had 21000 last year. You're getting 25000 there every night. You have the money, but they don't have a stadium. So maybe not, not yet, but they're going to get there where there's no question of fan support. I don't think there's much of a question – as we've seen so far about some fan support here in Nashville, you, you will wonder once this finally happens because they want to build a 27, 30,000 seat soccer stadium, which is going to be what the biggest domestically in the United States because I think Toronto FC has thirty, The uh, StubHub Center, where the Chargers play in the NFL, where like Galaxy plays, is about 26,000. So building the largest stadium in MLS would be interesting. I mean, as far as like soccer specific stadium, now we've seen Atlanta, they're like putting 70,000 people in there. Or Atlanta United games at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Atlanta, much larger city, I guess. Apparently, this the fervor for soccer was something that we did not expect to come out of Atlanta, and it has. So, I, I don't know. I don't know how it will, how it'll translate, but that's just a, that's something I've asked, I've questioned. But the idea that Sacramento and St. Louis, who their whole bid for a stadium, kind of the vote was skewed to where they they had the city. You know, the city was the one voting on it when it should have been the county vote because the city, you know, you get the inner city people who, like, you know, aren't playing soccer and who aren't going to be the ones who are investing in going to the soccer games and, you know, the sponsorship. They're the ones that the city of St. Louis is asking to pay for it instead of asking the county, which would have incorporated, you know, the more high-dollar folk who are actually going to go to the games or actually going to invest in the team. So that completely fell apart, and apparently St. Louis has yet to figure it out why, Joe Prince Wright still has him ranked down at nine, but when I'm looking at all of this, it's just interesting to me how, you know, San Diego, Atlanta, Dodd was a part of that, and that's they've not really gotten that figured out. There's so many teams out there in, in south in Southern California and California in general, so I don't know if they really need another one in San Diego. But NFL leaving there, they thought there might be an opening, but just look, kind of looking at all of this, it's just had they not rushed it, I don't know if. I think Nashville gets a team because of the money because that's what wins out is the money. And, you know, they were a long shot back in January 2017. And then roll around to like July when the commissioner is here for the Gold Cup match. And there's no doubt that Nashville's going to get a team. And I remember going to the press conference. I know I asked him. I was like, if come December, there's not enough because you want to expand by two. What if there's only one city? What if there's three cities? Like, what if you don't have those four cities that are have good enough bids? And you know he didn't really want to entertain that. And all I want to know is, if you're going to do this where you're going to expand by four teams, you're going to rush this entire timeline. It's going to look bad on you when you only have two, one city that was even prepared to have a team. And I asked him back in December at the bid after, you know, they gave the awards to Nash. was like, when's the next one? He's like, we'll know like next week. What was it wasn't until what, May until Cincinnati was announced. MLS completely rushed all of this. Some people went, oh, you might be better because your city of Charlotte didn't get it. Like, look, guys, I, I never thought Charlotte, I don't even think MLS will work in Charlotte if they're going to get it. And, you know, honestly, I think they're going to get it now. Because David Tepper, who just bought the Panthers for, what, $2.275 billion, has mentioned MLS twice. At the MLS All-Star Game a couple weeks ago in Atlanta, Don Garber went up there and he mentioned Charlotte as being a place that they're still interested in. They're interested in because a billionaire, a guy who had who like was worth $11 billion, and David Tepper bought an NFL team, liquid, straight cash, and now he decided when he wants MLS. So, look, that's how it works. And you know I don't know I don't know how it's gonna work in Charlotte because the way they had it planned out was that the USL team that mind you I mean let's just look at the attendance numbers for the Charlotte Independence so they play in like a two thousand seat stadium their attendance numbers are twenty ninth out of thirty three teams in USL they averaged one thousand seven hundred twenty three but they had two thousand eight one hundred eighty nine this past weekend so cool good for them but the plan for at least in Charlotte for ML for USL was they have an old historic stadium right outside of downtown kind of similar to What they're doing here at the fairgrounds, um, kind of revitalizing it. They want it's like an 80 year old stadium, Memorial Stadium. The city had a 24 million dollar plan to renovate it and turn it into a 10000 seat soccer stadium that could be eventually expanded. Well, once this whole MLS thing popped off, um, the whole Martin, the Marcus Smith and his father Bruton Smith who own um, SMI, which is you know Speedway Motor Inc or whatever it is, um, they own like a bunch of racetracks in NASCAR. So big NASCAR guys, they decided we're going to jump in this. We're billionaires. We're going to try and get a soccer team because Charlotte deserves soccer. Charlotte loves soccer, blah, 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 which is, like, not true. I grew up there. I've never in my life heard anyone say, you know, it would be really cool if we had an MLS team. Major League Baseball, MLS, never heard that been said. So the plan was to have $24 million renovation. But once the SNPs jumped in there, that kind of went away. And the USL team, the Charlotte Independence, their whole plan was that they are going to grow soccer slowly by exp- – you know, getting a new stadium, renovating it, and allowing for more events to be played there, like high school football games and, you know, Division Two college football games and other festivals went out to be at the stadium. And also the Major League Lacrosse team, Charlotte Hounds, is going to play there. So that was going to be the plan. They're going to do that and then build slowly towards MLS by showing that people of Charlotte actually care about soccer and that they have the stadium where all they got to do is add about 10,000 more seats, 10, 12,000 more seats, and then they're ready to go. Well, that kind of went away once the Smiths came in and they said, yeah, we want to have soccer. We need we need to build a stadium. We're going to do it at same plot. And here's a a rendition of what's going to look like. Well, basically, this whole issue came down to where Charlotte City Council and you know the Charlotte you know in count in Mecklenburg County where Charlotte's in they couldn't get on the same page of how they're going to do the stadium because they had like two months to figure it out. They didn't have a lot of time. Like they put in a bid, which you know was at the last minute that Mark Smith and that, that family decided, well, we're going to put a bid for MLS for, so- for Charlotte while, you know, the, the city and county weren't even prepared to have these discussions. And the credit to them, they decided that right now, this is not the right thing to do for the city. There's other things to worry about and we're not going to focus on it. So now it's back on plan for now the former, formerly $24 million renovation is now a $32 million renovation. But still, they're going to put the USL team there and then their hope is to build towards MLS. But we'll see where that goes because that's not supposed to happen as far as renovation and moving that stadium until 2021. So what does that mean for the USL team in Detroit? I don't know because David Tepper, is talking about maybe he wants to have games there at Bank of America Stadium, which is not configured like a Mercedes-Benz stadium. But there's also been conversations that in Detroit that the Ford family, who obviously owns Ford Field and Detroit Lions, wants to you know help with Dan Gilbert, who owns the Cavaliers and who's been a part of this whole Detroit bidding group to expand Ford Field in a way to have soccer configured there. So it'll be interesting to see how that moves forward. But you're you're talking about Dan Gilbert, billionaire, Ford family, NFL. There's a connection. That's why Detroit's number one right there on Joe Prince Wright's list. Talk about Charlotte, which is way down there. But but this is before that David Tepper got the team officially. Had this been coming out about a week ago, I'm saying Charlotte's probably number two on this list, ahead of Sacramento. So you're telling me that Charlotte's going to steal a team from Sacramento, when I don't think anyone in that city, not anyone, I don't think that city as a whole would support MLS. Um, there's no history of them supporting soccer outside of, you know, forty, fifty thousand 50,000 people going to see Liverpool play. So I, I don't know how that's going to work out. And what's always frustrated me about the whole MLS process is it's taken away teams from cities that probably should have them over. Money, which uh, it's, a, it's a league, it's a business. That's the most important thing is the financial viability of every franchise within that league. But then, you know, we talk about how we're trying to grow soccer here in America, and then you're seeing MLS do exactly the same things that the NFL does, the NBA does, and having teams move when the owner doesn't get what he wants and go to a different city. Like, has Austin, Texas, have they shown that people care that much about soccer down there. I'm trying to does Austin I'm looking Austin doesn't even have a USL team from my understanding. From looking at these attendance ranks, they don't have they don't have a USL team, but now they're going to get an MLS team because Anthony Precourt wanted a new stadium in Columbus and they've talked about that, you know, the Columbus Crew, which is the original franchise, mind you, in the MLS. They're going to move away from the original franchise down to Austin, Texas because the owner wanted a new stadium and the city Didn't want to really work with him because the city didn't trust the owner because Anthony Precourt's kind of a slimy dude. So the MLS is showing kind of who they really are, not only in this bid process by, you know, looking for whatever billionaire of NFL ties, but also helping a guy who owns their first team that were the home of basically team of us men's national team has been Columbus throughout the years. And maybe yeah, probably need a new stadium, but come on, you're going to let them move down to Austin, Texas. To a stadium, I believe, nine miles outside of downtown. So, so much for the whole, we need a stadium downtown or close to downtown. Nine miles outside of downtown, Austin, Texas. Traffic's not exactly the best out there. So, I, I, I don't understand it. It's just, uh, it's just funny to me how MLS has gone about this. You know, trying to pretend as if, oh, we care about growing the game of soccer. And I don't think the growing a game of soccer should come down to which city has a billionaire in NFL ties or a billionaire with NFL ties that can get them a soccer team. That's, that's what it should come down to. And I know the U S is completely different from the rest of the world. But you look at the rest of the world, you know, like Brighton Hove Albion is a small club on, you know, the South coast of England. And they're in the premier league. A couple of years ago, they were in like league one, which is like the third division of English soccer there. And now they're in a the premier league because they were able to play their way up there. Of course they, you know, they had, they got a new stadium not too long ago. And, They've had more money put into the club, but and that's how you win. But still, the idea that a small club, and I don't know how big the city of Brighton is, but, you know, a smaller club can be able to play with the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea and Manchester United after, you know, not being not too far removed from being in, like, the third tier of soccer is great. And, you know, England invented soccer. So, they obviously, there's been way more of a foundation of that sport over there. But I think it's hard to build a foundation of the sport here in America when you're saying that, here, we're going to have 28 teams, 28 cities, and not even 28 cities, like 27 or 26 cities, because New York and L.A. have multiple teams, are going to have a team. And that's it. So 26 cities in America are going to be allowed to have MLS teams, going to be allowed to play the highest level of soccer while everyone else can play in USL or whatever other leagues might come about. I'm not a huge fan of that. Just because of who has the deepest pockets, I would love to see, you know, and I don't know if this is ever going to happen, but I would love to see a day come where we have like a football league in England where everyone falls under this one umbrella. MLS has, I don't know, if you want to have twenty eight teams? That's a massive league, but you want to do that? Then whatever, do that, and we have promotion and rele- relegation. I know there was like some company or out there, whatever, offered MLS a ton of money to go to a promotion relegation system. And I the problem with that is. I mean, 28 teams is way too many. You're going to go down, you got to go down to like 20 or something like that. And you're going to have these owners who are going to be like, I spent all this money to get in the league. And now my team's no longer here. It's like, well, Hey, spend more money, spend more money. And you can get back up there. Cause that's how you win. So I, I just wish that was the, the way it could be because like Memphis, or Birmingham, they're getting USL teams and they're never going to be able to play in major league soccer and under our current construct. And why should that be the case? I mean, Memphis has an NBA team. They've proven they're a professional city. Why can't they be able to play at the highest level of soccer? Birmingham doesn't have any other professional sports teams, other than like minor league baseball. But why can't you know Birmingham, Alabama, you know, put in money and find a way to become at the top of the soccer world in the U.S. Why, why does it have to come down to whether they have some dot com millionaire or some guy with NFL ties to have a team? That's one thing I've never liked about this, and why I think they should have just let it happen organically instead of basically having people just pull out the checkbook and, you know, throw them a blank check for whatever it would cost to get a team for their city is let it grow organically, see that people actually care in the city and actually have the politician, the city figure things out before they come to almost a year since the bid's been given away. And now they're saying, you know what, actually we don't want to do this because had there been time to grow this in Nashville, we wouldn't be having the situation where Nashville SC is like, you know, Running after people and telling, them, "Hey, you got to go there. Got to be and like the MLS organizing committee is like, you guys got to show up to the meeting on Monday night next Tuesday to show how much you care." It, it shouldn't have come down to this. It should have been a done deal a long time ago. Because the Metro Council should have had a conversation about what was the best place to have a soccer stadium. Was there another area lo- located in downtown? Was there another area area just better, you know, than the fairgrounds? But well, I think the fairgrounds is a is perfect location. But there should have been more conversation. It shouldn't have just occur last week or the week before. this should have been a conversation that was held way back when. I understand Mayor Barry not being there probably has a major, has played a major role into kind of the questioning of whether this bid, not the bid, but the stadium is still going to go through. I mean, I think it will. If it does I mean, it, it will all work out. I mean, they're not going to take away the team, like I said earlier. They're not taking away a team from John Ingram and in the Will family that owns the Minnesota Vikings. It's just not going to happen. And they look at Nashville, they're not going to do that. So I, I'm not concerned about that at all. I just wish this would not have been so rushed to where we don't have this conversation right now. And I wish MLS was about more than you know who has the deepest pockets. Maybe I wish they were actually about trying to grow the game of soccer because I don't know if exactly this is the best way to do it, but we'll see how things work out in the end. Either way, I, I wouldn't worry about this whole stadium bid. I wouldn't worry about any of that at all. It's going to work out. Maybe not this plan, but it will work out in the end because they're not going to take a team away from a billionaire. I'll take a quick break, and then on the other side, I'll kind of give a little little comments on Marcus Mariota and how that whole preseason game against Pittsburgh went on Saturday and why, you know, we should or should not worry about it and tell you about how there's a complete hoax going on out in Southern California in college football. It's Julian Council Show. Be right back. When the big stories break, Ryan Hartman has been traded to the Predators. Ryan Hartman is 23 years of age and established in NHL, and he fits all the boxes that we were looking for. We are here to deliver. deliver. The Titans have released a Marco Murray, and they are going with Derek Henry as their lead running back. Nashville's best sports talk is ESPN. 1025 The Game. Okay, uh, back here on a Julian Council show. Um, Yeah, a lot of thoughts there on MLS. I think it's going to work out, just not a fan of how the league went about, the whole expansion process, but I am happy that Nashville's going to have a team. But um, on Saturday, Marcus Mariota did not look good against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like I said, I came back home yesterday from a fantasy football draft summit weekend, fired up the laptop to see what happened thank God for Game Pass, and thank God for the condensed, because I did not want to watch a full game broadcast. No offense to Dan Helley and Charles Davis. I just don't want to sit there and listen to them the entire time. I just want to get play-by-play action and got all of that with Game Pass. So, that's not an ad, but, you know, it's worth the money, and I did not pay. Um, Either way, Mark Samarita clearly struggled. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, I mean, there's three passes that everyone looks at. He had the Missed throw to Corey Davis after he connected, you know, went three for three. Taja Sharp hit him twice and hit Deion Lewis at the backfield once. Had the over he had the underthrow to Corey Davis. Marks Martio later said in the press conference that there was kind of a miscommunication where Corey Davis recognized some sort of coverage that Mario did not. So he should be on the same page as Corey Davis sells on him. Then there was another third down on the next drive where he had the overthrow on third and six to Corey Davis and com- completely missed him. And then, you know, this final possession out there, I think the fourth drive that they played. He had what was just a horrific interception. No one, no one's open. Gets flushed out pocket, rolls out right or to the left, and then just throws across his body and gets picked off by Terrell Edmonds. So not exactly a encouraging outing by Marcus Mariota in what everyone calls a dress rehearsal, which I'm so sick of hearing. Oh, it's a dress rehearsal game. It's a dress rehearsal game. Oh, my gosh. It's like yeah, but, you know, it's – no, not really. It's the game where they're going to play the most. It's not exactly a dress rehearsal because they're still not throwing out all the concepts and schemes they're going to be using come week one. So we can stop with all that nonsense, and it's over with now. Thank God. But, um, yeah, so I saw a lot of people out there were freaking out saying Mark Smartis sucks, that this is not the franchise quarterback, that they got to do something else, uh, put in – you know, tried for t- Teddy Bridgewater because Colin Cowherd had – Bucky Brooks from NFL Network on a show last week, I believe, because I saw this video out there. Because I just typed in Mariota's name on Twitter to see all the flaming takes that everyone had out there, and you know, asked who would you rather have Bridgewater or Mariota? To Bucky Brooks, and Bucky Brooks kind of hesitated, like, ah, it's close. It's like, ah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to have this conversation whether Teddy Bridgewater should be the quarterback down here, but you know, I mean, he'd probably be a better backer than Blank Gabbard. But I'm not trying to tell Blaine Gabbard he doesn't need to have a job down here. Either way. It would be an upgrade, but I don't know having Teddy Bridgewater is the right thing. This franchise clearly, I mean, they drafted a number two overall, Marcus Mariota, that is. They are sitting there at this point where it's year four, and he's going to they're going to figure out whether they're going to take his fifth-year option. I mean, if you draft the guy second overall, you're probably going to pick up his fifth-year option. I mean, Tampa Bay did with Jameis Winston, and he has far more issues. Now, he's probably been a little bit better on the field, but he has a lot more issues off the field to worry about than Marcus Mariota has. I'll just continue to remind people, this is the third offense in four years for Mariota. Also, Dan Orlovsky, who played in the NFL and knows the system in which Matt LaFleur is bringing over here, says it takes about 18 months before a quarterback can fully grasp and be comfortable in the system. We are on like, month four or so of this. And understand that they're still concerned. The offense has not looked great all offseason. But I would be way more concerned about the fact that Delaney Walker and Rashard Matthews is now off the PUP list, physically unable to perform those, so he's now back. Like Corey Davis, some of those guys have missed time. I'd be more concerned about that the continuity with the wide receivers because I think that kind of shows when Mario is on the same page as Corey Davis on that one underthrow on third down on the first drive because Davis recognized something that Mario doesn't recognize. Now, Mario has got to recognize that. I understand that. I don't know if that would be the same case had they all both been on the field a lot of times. But still, that's something where if these guys are out there together more often, maybe that doesn't happen. The overthrow, I mean, that happens too. and That's probably that's mainly on Mariota, but who knows? Maybe if Corey Davis is out there, they have a better connection. I'm not trying to put this on Corey Davis or anyone else. I'm just saying I'd be way more concerned about the health of the wide receivers than I would be over how Marcus Mariota looked in the third preseason game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, yeah, of course, it's a little concerning that he didn't play well, but I don't think it's the end-all be-all. If there's anything to be concerned about, and I was reading on ESPN.com, it's about from a couple months ago. Um, Bill Barnwell, who's an NFL writer for them, he was writing about you know six teams who we thought he would take a step back, and he's not the only one who says this about the Tennessee Titans because obviously they're listed there. But um, he also who is it? Uh, Will Brinson of CBS thought the Titans were a team that could miss the playoffs this year. So plenty of people are you know out on the Titans this year, even though Barnwell says according to football or the FPI that ESPN has, football power index, that Titans are going to have the third easiest schedule in the NFL. So if they have the third easiest schedule in the NFL, they can have a playoff when you would think that they'd be able to make the playoffs again. I don't know, but one number that he did point out that was pretty interesting to me was the only quarterbacks in the league who threw more inceptions than touchdowns were Mariota, Deshaun Kaiser, C.J. Beathard, and Brett Hunt. Okay, the only other quarterbacks in the league who threw more interceptions... Okay, let me do this again. The only quarterbacks in the league who threw more interceptions than touchdowns than Marcus Mariota were Deshaun Kaiser, C.J. Beathard, Brett Huntley, and Trevor Simeon. Neither one of those guys is a starting quarterback in the NFL anymore. I mean, Brett is like the third-string quarterback in Green Bay. So none of those guys, I mean, a lot of those guys aren't at the same teams. But um, hey, Deshaun Kaiser coincidentally, behind Brett Hundley, who's also on that list. So th- that's something that I mean, can be concerning. And then looking at Football Outsiders, they have this adjusted interception total, which basically they take the amount of interceptions that you actually had. So for Mario this case, you had 15, and then adjust it to what it should have been because of dropped balls or whatnot. So for Marcus Mariota, his adjusted interception total was 17. So that counts for two interceptions that, you know, should have been caught but were dropped or just didn't happen. While the other guys that we list up there, Deshaun Kaiser, who had who actually had seven had 17 whatever he had 20 he had 22. Let's see. 22, 22, 22, 22. Okay, he had 22 interceptions. His adjusted interception rate was 23. So, basically that's no fluke that he threw as many. Trevor Simeon had 14, but his adjust was 20. Kirk Cousins, coincidentally, had 13, but it should have been 20. Jameis Winston at 11 should have been 19. So those guys who have gotten luckier than Mariota. But the thing, what they're pointing out here is, like with the Sean Kaiser, when you had 22 interceptions and your adjusted interception rate is 23, that's actually not good at all. That means that you actually were throwing 22 interceptions and he should have thrown 23. Mariota, he actually threw 15, but he should have thrown 17. Like, you know, there's other guys out there, Jay Cutler, 14, 17. I mean, there's dudes who have drastic, you know, adjusted interception ratios where, like, Matt Stafford had 10 interceptions, but it should have been 18. So when you look at that, there's actually some reason for concern over, well, he threw 15 interceptions last year, but it should have been 17. And it's not like it should have been 30 where he got lucky. It's like, man, this, this wasn't him, like, getting lucky. This was just him throwing interceptions and making bad decisions like he made on Saturday when he threw an interception to Terrell Edmonds. So get that out of the system now, and then and next Sunday when they play against Miami, we might not be having this conversation. So I wouldn't be that concerned about what I saw from Marcus Marita on Saturday, but it is something that we should keep an eye on because for me, I, for one, am still not you know sure whether he is the franchise quarterback for this team. I think he will get his fifth-year option, whether he's worth putting in $20 million, annually which is what the quarterback value is whether you like it or not i'm not sure quite yet but after seeing what he did against kansas city in the playoffs last year and how he played down the stretch the game against jacksonville where he stiffed arm jacksonville safety into the earth core got that burst down late there in the fourth quarter and what he was able to do late in that season i mean i think we've seen enough that Marcus Morrow to can win you some football games he might not be a great quarterback but he can be a good serviceable quarterback and you know that's not what you're looking for that number two pick but look alex smith He's never exactly lived up to, I guess, what the billing of a number one pick would be. I guess a future Hall of Famer? I don't know what the expectation of a number one pick would be, but he's been out there in the league for a long time, winning football games, and people trash him all the time and act as if he's a Jamarcus Russell or something. But Jamarcus Russell, I don't know where he's at, but I know Alex Smith is still playing in this league and still going to have an impact this year for the Washington Redskins on his new team. So uh, if Marcus Barrett can be – hopefully you don't want to be a journeyman, but if he can be you know, an Alex Smith type where – he can manage a game, and he can help you win divisions multiple years. I think Tennessee Titans fans should sign up for that, especially looking at about the decade of mediocrity that you just got yourself out of by finally going to the playoff game and winning. Okay, so I've been talking about this. We're going to wrap this up right here. I've been talking about this. There's a hoax going on in college football. There is a hoax. Southern California, USC, the Trojans, have named a replacement for Sam Darnold. It's going to be a kid named JT Daniels. JT Daniels. Tweeted out by USA Today Sports. JT Daniels should be a high school senior. Instead, after reclassifying, he'll succeed Sam Darnold as a Southern as Southern California starting quarterback. That was the headline, the tweet. Ben Baby, who covers Texas and Maggie's from the Dallas Morning News, did Yeoman's work by quote tweeting and actually giving us some interesting perspective on J T Daniels and you know how much we should give him credit for reclassifying. JT Daniels Friendly reminder, he said, friendly reminder, JT Daniels turns 19 in February, so he should probably be in college. Last time I checked, I was 18 when I went to college. Last time I checked, most people who go to college for their freshman year are 18. JT Daniels is 18. He's going to be 19 in February. I turned 19 in March of my freshman year. Seems pretty standard to me. Uh, ben Baby continues to go on, says UC, USC's JT Daniels told the Orange County Register he purposely repeated eighth grade athletic reasons and this is not something that's new this has been a trend where parents or kids or whatever they'll decide that I want my kid to come back and play and you know stay in this one grade so we can get an athletic you know edge over all the kids who are a year younger than him Daniel spent significant time with Prohaska and I guess this must be his quarterback coach because he was repeating eighth grade so repeating eighth grade from 2014 to 2015 did it twice not due, to, not due to academics, but as a way for him to become more physically mature by the time he enrolled at Matter Day, the place he played high school football at. It is why he is now 18 years old while still graduating from high school a year early. I want to play varsity as a freshman. This is Daniel's quoting. I was 155 pounds in the training league. You're not playing varsity at 155 pounds. So basically, he wanted to be more physically mature so that he could be able to play varsity his first year in high school at Matter Day. Not because, you know... I mean, that's, that's why I did it. So the whole idea that we have the 17 year old kid or whatever that's going out there and playing college football this year, that's, that's not true at all. It's not true at all. JT Daniels is 18, will be 19 in February. He's exactly as old as he should be in being in college. So for everyone out there, who's like going to freak out about this and going to talk about how great that is, let's just all know the facts first. Sorry to uh, ruin any of that fun for you all out there. Um, So appreciate the listen. All right, Max. I'm all on iTunes now. I figured it out. So Julian Council Show, look at it. Look it up on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe, all that, whatever that jazz is. Go do that on iTunes. Oscar Man on SoundCloud on TheGameNational.com. So check all that out. Really appreciate it. Thursday, going to get you a college football preview as Week 0 happened this past weekend. Shout out to all those teams. Those games actually matter. Hashtag Week 0 Awareness Week is now over, but now is actually Week 1. So Thursday night college ball kind of gets started in earnest before Saturday when the bulk of the games will be played. So going to get a college ball preview with somebody on Thursday. Stay tuned for that. It's been the Julian Council Show. Really appreciate you listening. Talk to you later.